Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Welcome to an all-new edition of the Kaiju Cast, the only podcast that I am aware of that is 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. I am Kyle, and this is the eighth episode for the month of August 2009. At the console this evening, I have a very special guest with me, model maker and mecha enthusiast Jim Walsh is going to keep you guys entertained. Plus, I'll have some exciting news for you since last month I didn't even cover any news at all because it was my G-Fest episode. But before we get into all that hoopla, we're going to kick things off with a request for Jet Jaguar from Godzilla vs. Megalon for Logan Solomon.
All right, welcome back, folks. I'm sitting here with my good friend, Jim Walsh, who is uh, happily visiting me from New Jersey. He's Hello, come out everybody. here. Come out here to Portland, Oregon. And, All expense uh, paid trip to <laughs> be on the show here. Thank you very much for having me out, for paying expenses. So, uh, yeah, so Jim and I have known each other for a long time online. Uh, we're both part of uh, a community of model builders, and we're going to talk about that in a little while. But one of the things about these movies that Jim and I both share is this love for these old mechanical weapons that Toho uh, created in the 60s and early 70s. Just amazing stuff, stuff like Atragon and the Mazer Cannon and Markalite, SY3. Yeah, yeah, and we know a lot of people um, will dismiss the Toho films or Japanese science fiction films as, oh, they have modeled... Godzilla stepping on model tanks and smashing cardboard buildings. Well, they need to watch more science fiction films, especially of that era, because they'll get a better understanding of how much work Toho actually put into their films, their miniatures, their their buildings. They think, oh, that's made of cardboard, or dismiss it very quickly. But you need to see some other movies where the production crew did not know what they were doing or did not have the skills, and you start to appreciate. And... Um, you know, by comparison, we were talking earlier, I think the only thing that really comes close was um, Jerry Anderson's work, like Thunderbirds in the 60s. Yeah, Thunderbirds was the most prominent one. And they had great miniature work, but uh, camera-wise, they did not master the high-speed camera work, in my opinion, that that the Toho and Tsuburaya houses did. Um, so their explosions don't quite have that, that impact, the, the big... Yeah, the explosions in, in Jerry Anderson's work, specifically in the Thunderbirds, which is mostly what I've seen. I've seen some of his other work, too. But um, the explosions, when they do it in slow motion, it looks more like slow motion as opposed to having the big impact from the Godzilla's yeah, yeah. exploits. Yeah. And, and not to put um, Jerry Anderson down, Thunderbirds, I, I, that's a real highlight reel for... Uh, Jerry Anderson and but you know getting off, off the track go ahead if you think that the Japanese science fiction movies were so cheap I challenge you you go look at American films of the time look at European films of the time and you know if you find something where the effects were really all that much better then go ahead uh spam Kyle and, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ser- yeah I, get, ser- I absolutely speak your you know go ahead give him a piece of your mind I yeah, I, I will I'll continue that cha- challenge you know I mean you look at films in the 60s in America and look you know anywhere else really those special effects the specifically the miniature work it just doesn't really compare yeah. to the Japanese stuff I mean if you look at uh and I don't know if the people out there know this but um you and I both know that in the 80s and, and 90s, when uh, when Godzilla came back, they had to make him bigger mm-hmm. because uh, his 50-meter size would have been dwarfed by the, by the skyscrapers of Japan. And so in order to make Godzilla bigger, they had to make their buildings have less detail. And even then, the buildings in the, in the Heisei series still look fantastic. But imagine the lack of detail you'd have to have in those 80s and 90s movies just because of the scale. And now take it back to the 60s. Really what they were doing was absolutely amazing. I love I love those movies, obviously, and I love the special effects, especially uh, when Tsuburaya was in charge. 
But uh, it does really bother me when somebody says to me something about cardboard buildings because it just, it's clearly not the case. And, you know, that's just one of those things that we have to live. It's like a stigma that Godzilla fans have to live with. But uh, we were just watching the beginning of Gorath here and things that, that are basically like throwaway scenes where the opening of the film, there's the credits, credits, and there's a 15 second shot of a an elaborate uh, radio telescope um, panning across the screen, mm-hmm. and that was a miniature. And it's not they didn't take a salad bowl and paint it and stick some stuff on. <laughs> they there's a lot of elaborate. I mean, it looks like a real dish. There's a lot of elaborate metal work on it, and. The yeah. craftsmen had to do it, and they There's had to work a painstaking hard on it detail for a 15-second sure. shot. Out of all of the Toho, and you know anybody else in the Japanese genre, because we got to talk about kaiju here. Sure. Um, what is your favorite mecha from one of these movies? That's a tough one. It kind of fluctuate between a few, but I think for robots, uh, the 1957 Mulgara is is my favorite robot. He's got a lot of charm. He doesn't have a lot of destructive power. He looks like he's a construction machine. Um, that the Mysterians decide to sick on the Earthlings in in a very poorly advised you know battle strategy, <laughs> and you know he goes out there and he gives it his best, and uh, he's got got a great soundtrack, great um, great effects, but you know he doesn't doesn't have a lot of power. Um, as far as the ships, I don't know. That's a tough one. For a long time, the SY three was was one of my favorites. That was the design where. They took, you know, from the late 60s, the aerogeometry wing, the swing wing that was on the drawing boards of the F-14 Tomcat mm-hmm, was in development mm-hmm. at the time and, you know, other swing wing fighters and they were looking at scissor wing spaceships and all. And this, you know, Toho, they were they were well aware of that. They had real intelligent design and it's a, a fantastic looking ship. But I think my favorite would have to be the JX ships from Gorath. Um, they're a very classic 50s, 60s design, the way that people back then thought the ships were going to look. That's how spaceships were going to be. And it just reflects the optimism, the idealism of especially the Toho films of the 50s and 60s. And the idea of like, you know, exploring space and we're going to have these, you know, big, big spaceships and fly all over. Um so I, I would go with those JX ships. The JXs are great. I, you know, the, there's something very familiar, I think, with all the uh, the human-made spaceships in those movies. You know, there's a very uh, common thread, you know, with the P-1. And um, I honestly can't remember what the, the ships were called in the um, in Battle in Outer Space. But uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, the Speeps. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah right. Yeah. They, were, they were that same kind of style, too. Yeah. You know, they, there's a common there's a common design there, and I think that's good that they they've kept that. It very, makes it very human, it's, you know, which is kind of funny because SY three did not have that design. It was right. very I don't even know how to describe it. There are so many things happening with right, SY three. Right. There's the extending rocket. There's the sweep wings. There's the separation oh. pod or at the front, not pod, but the separation yeah, bit yeah. in the front. It's a very busy design. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on, but still very cool. And, you know, uh, clearly it's not just a ship for traveling to outer space and coming back. It's a ship for traveling to outer space, coming back, and coming into our atmosphere, flying through our atmosphere, and battling stuff. Bat- yeah, fighting monsters. <laughs> yeah, it's a little uh, underpowered in terms of weapons, but <laughs> it's a great design. And, and with the big booster unit that um, attaches to the back, it's, uh, again, that's something where 
at the time they like previously and we were talking about this before you had the uh, Shigeru Komatsuzaki design a famous Japanese painter who did the production designs for like Mysterians and Atragon very bold well now we call it retro but you know it's like a very very bold and striking design and uh, Monster Zero with a P1 and Strong Monsters the SY3 Latitude Zero the Black Shark and the Alpha mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, designs where they're looking at like actual contemporary scientific aeronautical research and and trying to go one step ahead of that so it has a definite you know different feel and and like you say it, the older ships they do have like a more human feel because they appeal to that boldness whereas the the later designs they're like a colder scientific design so getting back to your original question of the favorites um, we talked about I talked about robots I talked about spaceships and for submarines the black shark you know I love the atragon its ability to drill and go underwater and fly at supersonic speed and all that it's you know it's great what boy wouldn't love that ship but the black shark is is just a great submarine you know looks like a real sub but like also no other, looks like a shark too. yeah yeah <laughs> and but like no other real sub you've seen and then for ground vehicles I mean the the Mazer cannon the type 66 wins you know hands down not only is it it looks like something that could have been in development at the time but it actually it works and it beats the monsters beats the the green gargantua mm-hmm. and if if his brother hadn't come along they would have finished him off so i'm sure the japanese self-defense force you know they must have been psyched to finally get a victory <laughs> the Mazer corps must have been become like the elite unit they're like we're the guys who actually can beat monsters like in and, your face, yeah, it's like yeah. a light ray. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I I I love the Mazer tank design. I absolutely love the Mazer tank design. And Atragon, you know, hands down would be my f- favorite. Sounds ridiculous, but my favorite flying sub <laughs> is Atragon. And and actually, my favorite sort of vehicle is Atragon. I've got you know, as you've seen, I've got yeah. my Atragon kit wrapped up in Manda over there, and um. But you know, following at a close second behind uh, behind the Mazer tank would be the A cycle light ray. There's just something about that design. I really like how the giant conductors are coming off oh, of that yeah, and, yeah. and forming basically that big like magnetic ray. Oh yeah, fantastic detail on that. Um, well, another thing we were talking about at dinner was uh, the uh, we were talking about the the saucer from Monster Zero and how. How difficult would it be to rebuild that? And as we were talking about, they didn't—they didn't just take something off the shelf. They didn't go buy, uh, you know, some salad dishes and glue them together or something. They, they you know, they turned these machines. They were they're craftsmen. There were a number of special features, and we're talking about one bringing Godzilla down to size. That was on the War of the Gargantuas, mm-hmm. yep. um, the American uh, DVD set War of the Gargantuas. Great documentary. Bring Godzilla down to size. Interviews with the art and production staff who who usually don't get any credit. You hear people talk about Godzilla films, the classic films. They'll talk about Tsuburaya and, and um, Honda, the director, but you know, there's a lot of people behind Tsuburaya and his staff, and they don't often get the credit. But this uh, this feature, bringing Godzilla down to size, um, highly recommend that you get to meet these guys and hear their story, and uh, they're amazing craftsmen. So um, Yeah, if, you, if anybody out there has purchased the Rodan War of the Gargantuas uh, double DVD, and you haven't watched that, if you're just one of those people that kind of like, oh, yeah, just like watching the movies that don't watch the special features, you really owe it to yourself to watch the documentary because not only is it a great 
documentary and well produced. It's got some really iconic people who have been. Uh, they've got uh, three of the Godzilla actors being interviewed about their their styles. They've got uh, Inoue is in there and right, talking about right. his artwork, and they've got that big. Uh, conglomeration of all the special effects guys that sit there and on the documentary they reproduce uh what is it the sinking of an yeah, island the tank. yeah the, the tank effect which was used for oh no oh. no it's not the sinking of an island it's an underwater volcano exploding yeah that's what it is yeah they've used it a couple things i guess the island's exploding um the cataclysmic uh destruction of mew at the end of atragon was mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Great documentary. Yeah, absolutely. So bringing Godzilla down to size is definitely right. a must-watch. We didn't talk much about uh, newer newer machines. Um, no, we talked a little bit about the Heisei because yeah, I was just I was know, telling Jim how much my son really likes those and how there really hasn't there have not been any uh, affordable kid toy versions of the Heisei Mecha, at least nothing that I've yeah. I've checked out. But you know, I I do like how they brought the maser features of the the ray firing from the dish they had yeah. those weird helicopter style planes oh with yeah, the, yeah with the rays like, on the side yeah they're like copra helicopters with they, they yeah, didn't, they have, they the didn't have the blades and <laughs> they were like they were like planes somehow yeah, yeah i think that was godzilla and mothra the battle for earth or you know godzilla and mothra 92 something like that but um yeah they that's a very powerful design element that's always stayed with the Toho films, the idea of a parabolic dish focusing a lens. The way they, they updated the Mazer for Godzilla Mothra, Mechagodzilla, Tokyo SOS. I try to say those like all in one breath. It's, it's yeah. a lot of fun to try. And It's the, it's the, uh, it's the best way to say yeah. them is all in one <laughs> breath for sure. I like saying them in Japanese. I li- li- I'm not kidding. I literally walked down the stairs the other day and I was saying something to a friend of mine. Japanese came up and I said... Like that, like we're super loud. It was in the middle of our work place. It was funny. That sounds just like the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. But uh, the way they upgraded, updated that Mazer design. Mm-hmm. So it looked, you know, design wise like the 66 Mazer, but um, with a sort of modern military design without, you know, bypassing the kind of more futuristic or some say the anime look that the 90s films had. But mm-hmm. whatever, I think they did a good job. Yeah, definitely. You know what I liked about the 2003 version of that Mazer was in the neck where, you know, you go from the, the base yeah, yeah. To, to the dish. Instead of it just being like the, exposed, the, the, the dish wasn't yeah. on a uh, hinge, when it opened up, it exposed that whole, right. the lights the yeah, lights coming yeah. through. Yeah, I know just what you mean. That was a, Yeah, that was a great design. If you haven't seen it, it has like a, like a shield, basically. So yeah, when it's traveling, exactly. the, the glassy-looking part isn't going to be hit by rocks or whatever on the road. And when it opens up... That's when you, you can, can see it, yeah. <laughs> you can see the light show. And yeah, that was... That was a nice touch on that. Yeah. I, I also always liked how that, and this is the same for the 60s and the 70s, and the rebirth of the Mazer Cannon was that it's not one enclosed thing. It's being pulled by mm. another vehicle. Mm-hmm. And they did that with the A-Cycle Light Ray. And yeah, I think yeah. they did that with another mecha oh, as yeah, well. Oh, yeah, the Mothra, the Heat Ray from the Mothra, Heat Ray, right, yeah. from the original Mothra movie. So I thought that was cool that they brought that back. They didn't say, oh, yeah, this is all one enclosed thing. They had that as a trailer that they hook up a car to. Yeah, the White Heron, the Shirasagi transport ships from those, uh, the last two. Oh, the, yeah, Godzilla, the Mecha Godzilla, Godzilla movies, yeah. yeah. Those were very effective. They, you know, they looked like a modern sort of heavy lift aircraft. It was it was believable as like a next generation type aircraft. You know what I, I always liked about the design of, of those was that the, 
I, I had never seen it in something before, so I'm not sure if, if another production has had that sort of thing. But having a ship that's literally flying above the battlefield and that ship is what controls the robot, I'd never seen that. It's always been like someone sitting at a desk yeah. somewhere or somebody inside of the robot, like the whole... Uh, Mecha King Ghidra, yeah, yeah, or or even you know the whole uh, Getter Robo Mazinger Z stuff that that came out in the seventies too, right? And of course, you know if you go back through um, Japanese entertainment anime, that's that's such a a common theme in the the robot shows that there's a guy sitting in the head of the robot and long before Mobile Suit Gundam. But in the Godzilla series, that didn't come about until Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah in 91. And that idea, you know, unfortunately, because of the whole giant robot genre, the people familiar with all that kind of kind of um, used to the idea. But at the time, the idea of like, you're going to be in this big robot or, or cyborg, and you are going to be like face to face with Godzilla. And when he fires his ray, like head level, it's right at your level, right, like, right. right at your cockpit. That's... That's kind of intense, and then they they carried that on to um, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla '93, where you had a whole crew inside the Mechagodzilla mm-hmm. um, battling against Godzilla. And that, despite um, what you thought of that Mechagodzilla design, I thought at the time that was a pretty good dramatic device. Yeah, yeah. But but then they went on to, and it was wise that they didn't repeat that in the 2003, 2004 Mechagodzilla movies. Um, was that 2002, 2003? I don't know. <laughs> Depends on whether you're in Japan or America. The Millennium uh, Series, yeah, let's just say. the Millennium Series. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, and that they control the machines remotely. It's a great idea. Also, the idea that the machine at the end of Godzilla, Mothra, Mecha, Godzilla, Tokyo SOS, eh, I got it in one breath. Um, the idea that the machine became... Um, Sentient, yeah. 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 On one hand, it seems kind of corny, but... I think we see these things as we have in real life that we have systems that become more and more complex systems. And specifically, I'm thinking of of the Mars rovers, the Spirit and Opportunity rovers. A lot of people work on it. You have a complex system. They're on their own. They start to reflect. There's like a personality. And whether, you know, whether that's as humans, we project a personality onto it, it has some sort of characteristic beyond just a, you know an on off yeah type tool switch. that you use yeah it's and got it's got its own kind of it it's autonomous in a sense yeah yeah and i i thought and of course in in that film it's it's kind of carried to an extreme where the mecha godzilla at the end overrides the commands and goes to sink godzilla into the ocean with itself and then he says goodbye yeah <laughs> yeah so you know that's that's going a little bit further. I, I think i think a few of my friends when they saw that they kind of groaned they were like uh and i was like i'm gonna have to live with that one guys <laughs> well let, let's move on to talking about uh, the other thing that we we love which is uh model kits model kits right man. we haven't talked much about that yeah yeah you know i i i'll tell you just a tiny little background for my listeners and for you if you haven't already heard it um when I first got into this stuff, I saw a picture of a monster in a magazine, and I thought, wow, that is really cool. Is that the toy? But it ended up being a model kit, and I think it was of Death Ghidra from, from Mothra. Anyway, so I eventually got online and eventually uh, wandered onto Kyoto's Japanese website, and you could buy things from them. And so I bought a couple of kits from Japan, directly from Japan, from Kyoto's website. And I gave them to a friend of mine because I thought, oh, I'd never be able to buy, build a model. And then 
uh, basically after a while I got them back from him and sort of out of necessity built my own model kit. He gave me some pointers and I really, really got into it, especially because some of the stuff that's out there, um, which I'm sure almost anybody who's listening is going to know the model kits have, uh, so much more detail and are so much better sculpted than a lot of the Bandai toys that are out there. So some of the Bandai monsters that hadn't, some of the monsters that hadn't been created as a Bandai toy yet, I said, well, I'm just going to make the models for those guys. And, uh, you know, it's funny is like the, the Batra larva kit that I have that is, uh, from Kyoto. And that actually cost me less than it did for me to buy the Bandai and the first off it's twice as big and the details are amazing anyway. So long, longer stories, shorter. I, uh, I started doing my model kits, found, uh, found some other people online on a Yahoo group who are, who are also building model kits. And that is where I met Jim actually. Yeah. So we're talking about the internet, like, well, when I was a kid, I liked building model kits, but, uh, you know, I looked like crap. I was a terrible builder and could go to, um, uh, the store, they sold magazines and there was like American model building magazines, but they just, you know, they were like building, uh, you know, maybe, uh, car models or plane and ship and tank models. And they're not very well illustrated. Um, and they talk about tools and materials that they didn't sell in my hometown. Uh, and in, you know, in the seventies, where do you find this stuff? If they don't have it down at the local, you know, five and dime, you're out of luck. Mm-hmm. So after a while, um, I didn't do much of that. And then, okay, we get to the nineties where I'm grown up and have some extra money to spend. And then there's the internet. Now this is the old days of the internet where if you want to learn about something, you have to read it on the internet. You didn't go to YouTube and watch someone do it for you. So in those old days of the internet, you could find websites where someone would write a tutorial gremlins in the garage, was an old garage kid. Oh yeah, um, I remember and, that website. Yeah, they, they they had great tutorials. Very, not really a lot in terms of uh, illustration or or um, pictures because that was in the days before digital cameras were so cheap. Um, they had a pretty good gallery though. You could yeah, go look was, at a lot of gallery, but it wasn't very well organized. <laughs> yeah, but you know, if you hunted around, you could find explanations on on how to. How to make molds and do casts and all all this kind of advanced techniques and you could also order it off the internet so that changed things for me where i had a chance to to try again my hand at modeling and uh, especially being a fan of godzilla a chance to try these kits and at first it was intimidating because the kits seemed relatively expensive and i didn't want to screw them up and you know but eventually you realize that that they're really pretty foolproof they're they're very forgiving especially um vinyl you can correct mistakes on it you can re-sculpt it you can do a lot of things with it it's a lot of fun to build and um you know once you get into it and you get started and actually hands-on it's uh it's very rewarding and and now we have a lot of uh, experienced model builders who have you know they do youtube videos and show techniques and so um yeah basically uh you don't have any excuse for not trying it yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, if you say, "Well, I'm, I don't have the talent. Or I'm not good at that." Well, nobody is until you actually, you know, start doing it. And if you don't, you know, if it doesn't work out the way you like, well, you, you can just wash it off and do it again. So, um, yeah, yeah so, I, I can think of one valid reason for someone not to get into Godzilla modeling, and that would be money. 
That that was a big shock to me because I I'm sure like you was used to the ten dollar kit from you know the, my local yeah, hobby yeah, shop, yeah. and then when I you know when I bought my Batra kit and my Desugoji kit, I was like, okay, that's a lot of money. But yeah. at the time, that's now when I think about it, like forty bucks for a model kit is like kind of a drop in the bucket. I can't afford the model kits I want now because nobody makes vinyl model kits that I want anymore. Yeah. Well, another, you know, another alternative is um, sculpt your own, you know, make your own, get, get the materials. Um, uh, there's a variety of them, of compounds for sculpting. And there are a lot of groups and message boards where they have finely illustrated details on sculpting right from from the very beginning of like design on paper all the way to the finished product and even showing you how to make um you know molds of your model so that you can you know if you want to make molds of it and sell it assuming it's an original design you shouldn't have any problem with that as long as your original design doesn't look like godzilla or anything like that <laughs> but um kyle had done a spectacular uh Varen, um a few years ago and we were looking at that earlier and uh yeah it's you know it's another thing um getting back to when talking about the movies and when i look at those older movies like um mysterians or atragon like as a boy or or, you know you're a kid you watch movies and the movie's over and what do you do well back then you didn't go to the store and, and like go out and buy a model of or buy a toy of this or that because you know before the star before they figured out after star wars how to really cash in um you know that that was kind of it so you'd take a toilet paper tube and paint it up and you know cardboard or you'd make your own things and that was is very satisfying if you go into the hobby with the idea of you just want to go into it enthusiastically and you want to uh, you know create something then you can't lose and uh the materials again are easy to find. The resources, Ill- well illustrated, they're out there on the internet. So lots of good magazines too. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Hobby Japan used to be great in the '80s. Unfortunately, sometime in the last decade, Hobby Japan just became a toy magazine with very mm. not a lot of detail. They used to show detail on building up kits and scratch building and stuff. Not so much anymore. Um, yeah, I've got a great hobby Japan that shows, I think it's right over there. I think it's that one right there. And it shows somebody building like this fantastic diorama. And it's basically sort of shows you how to build the diorama. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they do have, and half of hobby Japan is uh, Gundam, but they, they'll do True. Gundam dioramas and Gundam's a giant robot and Godzilla's a giant monster. So, you know, you, there's, a lot of the the principles and ideas carry over and it's it's worth checking out if you have a japanese bookstore and you can flip the pages and see if it's you know if if nothing else it's it's often pretty inspiring but um you know again uh the thing to do is just um uh try to remember the enthusiasm you had watching movies as a kid and just kind of let it go start building and see what comes out um yeah, start small. That's what I would say. Yeah, start, yeah, start small. Find something. Right. I mean, you can even take a styrene, uh, styrene for those who don't know, or the, just the plastic injection mold kits. Take a styrene kit and build it up and then try and make it prettier than it is on the box. Right. 
um, and or, or for that matter, um, buying a, a cheap Bondi toy, getting a good deal off eBay, and uh, you know, cutting it up and reposing it and practicing with that too. There's a lot of things you could do and have fun with, and at the end, you've got something that's different and that you've made yourself, and you can take pride in. And there's a lot of model kits and sculpts that are that are done by professionals that that don't look exactly like the suit in the movie. They're mm-hmm. the sculptor's, the artist's impression of that. Of that stylized. Yeah, 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 stylized. And yeah. Um, some of that looks pretty cool. So Yeah, my Mechagodzilla model kit, I have the Kyoto uh, Mechagodzilla 93. And while it looks somewhat similar, you know, the one in the movie is very stiff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, head up straight, arms down, or at slight angles. Yeah, yeah. But this one is has a very anime pose. It's like he's almost yeah. looking like I'm gonna get you. Yeah, <laughs> like, kind of like Street his, Fighter. Yeah, exactly. His his legs are way wider than that could even be possible, and the angles of his feet going down, and his tail is actually curving around and coming back up, and his arms are wide, and his his claws are open. Yeah, super yeah. cool. Yeah, he's got a good fighting stance. Super that. awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, actually, you know what? We'll uh, I'll post the link to the the Yahoo group in, yeah. in the show notes. Yeah, the the group's been online since two thousand, um, and like most groups uh, or most online communities, you know, they go through a, a period, a lot of initially sharing a lot of knowledge, but then once that knowledge has been spread through the group, uh, you know, kind of conversation dies down because everybody's heard it already and. Um, so you can search the archive if you if you post a question, people answer it. But don't be surprised if it doesn't, you know, spark a month long discussion. I think the good thing about having a, a group that you can go to is that when when people did have questions, they were very they were very quick to answer, and usually those answers are pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the, not, not the answers. Usually those responses happen pretty quickly and they're pretty simple so uh you know if you're if you're interested in in the model kits uh any questions about modeling again uh this time just write kyle politely don't spam him on <laughs> won't get trashed but yeah he's been through uh, we were on a tour of his his museum here of his model kits and um he's so he's been through the whole process he's modified toys he's built models and he's also built um monster from scratch a very impressive uh, you should put you should put a uh, picture of that Varen. i should you're right. it's, it's and thank you for saying that nice. by the way it's really really uh good to hear it's been a while since anybody's really commented so much on it but um you know that actually that the reason i built that well the main reason i built that is because it is the it's the um design that was originally supposed to go into Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidra, but they didn't use him, right? So they, somebody took a picture of that and posted it somewhere, and I have that picture online. And just from one photo, I uh, I reproduced it as best I could. And I actually, I built it, and I finished it specifically for our uh, our contest on on the on the Godzilla yeah, yeah. And kaiju years model ago, kits. Yeah, contest. years ago. We had two of them, actually. Yeah. Not, but the important thing is that it was something you like that design, uh, you were inspired by it, and well, there's no yeah absolutely the powers that be don't make it. That you can't buy it anywhere, 
So he just made it himself. I think that's a that's a great a great thing to aspire to, uh, especially in the modern time with so many resources now that just weren't available before. Not just material, but in terms of knowledge. And don't sit around like looking at your show and think, oh, I'd buy a toy or a statue of that if they made it. Go out and make it yourself. You can do it. You know, it takes a little trial and error, but you can do it. Yeah, you know, I uh, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have been able to uh, get as much work done on that if it hadn't been for the group because Bill Goodmanson mm-hmm. was an extremely large yeah. part of that. He had a, he had just sculpted, I believe, Gabara, and he had a tutorial that he made and posted it online somewhere, and I got to read it. And, and because he was part of the group, I was able to actually to go directly to him and ask him questions like, hey, what do you think of... Super sculpty versus this magic sculpt stuff, and uh, do you think it's really necessary to have the, um, you know, the the inside armature be made out of tin foil and stuff like that? It was good. It was uh, it was a great resource for sure. Yeah, yeah. Shouts out to Bill. That's he's Bill'sKitchen.com. I think there's a hyphen in there. Do a Google search on it. Um, yeah, it's been spectacular work, and. Uh, He's part of the Resin Chef, Team UKK. The Japanese call him, they refer to him as, that he's like a big brother to us all, they say. So uh, he's a great resource. Um, he's, he's helped a lot of us out learning the ins and outs. And, and he detailing. produces amazing models. Yeah. I mean, really great, great stuff. And it's like we we're talking about when somebody doesn't make something that uh, Bill wants, Bill sculpts it himself. And then on top of that, he then gets the license. Yeah, yeah. And and with the the team UKK? Yes. They get the license for Wonderfest, right? right. You got to correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff. Yeah, they get the license which basically Toho requests that you pay them a certain amount of money for the license. You can only yeah. sell it for 3 days. And so they go to Wonderfest and they sell these kits like crazy. I think when I sort of fell out of things Godzilla wise, Bill had done four kits and I just looked recently at G-Fest and he had yeah, he's got it's at least stuff. three, three or four times that now. It's amazing. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you check out his website. There um, will be a link in the show notes. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> very uh, well il- illustrated website. And I, I think um, he he shows like his works in process. He does a lot of that. Yeah, yeah and that's that's very inspiring to see like how you can do it, and it just takes uh, some patience, um, and. Uh, I think really enthusiasm more than anything else and uh, a willing to, you know, turn off the TV, turn off the video games, get off your butt and say, well, nobody's, nobody's going to make this, but I, you know, I'm going to make it. Yeah. Uh, Nobody's done a Markalite. So Bill did a Markalite, you know, we hadn't seen a flying Varan in a long time. (laughs) So they did a flying Varan. I don't know if Bill did that specifically, but somebody in the UKK team did. Yeah, it's it's uh, really actually it's very inspiring to see some of the work that the fans have made, and it's even more inspiring to see that not only has Bill sculpted his own amazing things, but he's also gone on to become a legitimate kit builder, sculptor. Absolutely, a round of applause. I'm, no, I'm 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 clapping for Varen. Fly, Varen, fly! <laughs> Look at him go. Everybody duck, here he comes. <laughs> oh. 
Oh, get All on, right, man. there he goes. That was that was inspiring. All right, cool. Well, we've been recording for just a little under an hour, so that's like a sh- that's pretty much a show right there. All right. Um, well, that was that was exciting. Uh, thanks again for having me out. Time really flew. I can't believe it's only been an hour. We've uh, you know barely uh, barely got started here. I know, and, scratching the surface, yeah, so yeah. to speak. And we were talking for like two hours before this too. So, uh, so I really pride myself on being somebody that you can talk to. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> got a great show here. Uh, so I want to thank again, Jim. Jim, thank you so much, not only for coming out to my neck of the woods, but for being on the show. It's been fun hanging out with you tonight here at the audio console, and of course, having dinner beforehand and shooting the breeze about yeah, Godzilla and all sorts of stuff. Well, thanks again for having me out, and uh, hopefully, sometime come back out to the northwest and we'll get together and um you know continue our discussion absolutely oh and so people know this from before from another show i said jim helped provide me with some of the music so jim you want to take us out on a particular song you want to like request a song if you had to choose Uh, one all right a good way to go out is uh we space pilots uh from gorath there's a scene where they're in the in the English and Japanese version. Well, I guess just in the Japanese version, they're singing their space pilot theme song, which is great because they're they're like these Top Gun type guys. The the song's in Japanese, so of course it's cut from the English version. But uh, they're there drinking drinking it up in this in this nightclub, and at the end of the song, uh, one of the pilots, the guys, the guy who plays. Um, Ito and Ultraman, he does, he does this running, drunken somersault, and lands flat on his back. No stunt man, and everyone cheers for him. So I would say let's go out with that and a big backbreaking thud. We'll we'll just uh, you know land on our back and everyone will cheer, <laughs> and pour another drink. So. Sounds good. All right, here we go. Oh, 
devastating device the mind of man has yet created. It travels on land and in the sea. It tunnels through the earth. Its crew, all supermen with super weapons, can freeze their enemies and enslave them. Fire and fear are the gods of terror on the hidden continent. No adventurer can match the nine amazing wonders of Atragon, nor the massive powers of its allegoric destroyer. You will see wonders that challenge the imagination. United Nations has set up a defense headquarters to cope with the new empire's aggression. You will see flying saucers. You will know terror that panics the world. Admiral Kusumi, I am agent number 23 of the Mu Empire. This earthquake is not accidental. So before I get into the news, I was emailed by a Godzilla fan named Alberto last month, and he did something really cool that I wanted to share with you guys. He watched a Godzilla film every day 
and gave a little mini review on his blog for each one. It was called the Godzilla Month Project, and even though he wasn't able to watch Megalon or Return of Godzilla, he did a bang-up job. If you want to check out his reviews, go to godzillamonth.blogspot.com, and he even ranked the movies according to his preference, which I thought was pretty cool. Someday I'll have to rank the movies I've seen, and of course I'll go into a little detail per movie on how uh, that particular film came to its order. But for now, I'm just going to turn things over to the Kaiju Cast investigative reporters for their look at tonight's top stories. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. Okay, so I've said this before. I'm I'm not a uh, news guy. I don't go out and get my own scoops. I don't pay attention too much to things that go on. But I kind of feel like it since I'm here talking about stuff, I definitely should share the information that I do know, especially if it's newsworthy. So you know, I go to my friends' websites. The you know specifically SciFiJapan.com, August Ragoni's blog, just and anywhere else that I pick up information. So just so you know, if you haven't heard me say it before, these aren't my own scoops. So after every story, I'll say that there's a, there will be a link in the show notes. So make sure you're checking out the show notes so you can get the actual nitty-gritty of each one of these uh, bits. Today is August 18th, and uh, Sony released their much-anticipated Icons of Science Fiction Toho Collection DVD set. Now, unfortunately, I have to wait until I get paid this weekend to go pick it up. But fortunately for everyone, Sci-Fi Japan has an in-depth look at the set. Now, I was going to buy it anyway. But if you need convincing, head over to Sci-Fi Japan and check out Keith's article. Uh, Just to rehash, the DVD set has three movies in it. It has Mothra, Battle in Outer Space, and The H-Man. Head over to Sci-Fi Japan and check out Keith's article. For those of you in Canada... Well, those within driving distance of Montreal. I hope you're able to hit the Fantasia Film Festival at the end of last month. I'm sure you would have had a grand time because not only did they play Gehara, not only did they play Mothra, but they also showed what is probably the best Godzilla documentary that we fans will ever see. You heard Jim and I talking about it. It's called Bringing Godzilla Down to Size. There's a little bit of information on scifijapan.com about the film film festival, but uh, hopefully you guys got to see that. Next time, I'll do better on uh, reporting news as it comes in so that people don't miss awesome stuff like that. Um, after getting back from G-Fest, August scanned and uploaded a very interesting photo from New Type Live from the Keitakawa production of Damaijin Kanon. So head over to August's blog, uh, which is The Good, The Bad, and Godzilla, to see the picture. I will warn you that it is just a hint of the demon god, so don't get your hopes up too high for some super mega awesome uh, full-page image of Damaijin. But it, it's, it's impressive what you do get to see. Last but not least, and this is actually kind of weird, on bloodydisgusting.com, I read that the production company Legendary Pictures has somehow said that they'll be making a Godzilla reboot. Now, I'm not against it, but I'm not necessarily for it either. 
I know a lot of Godzilla fans are still super upset over the whole Geno fiasco, and I'm pretty sure that this isn't going to go anywhere. But if you don't know, Legendary is the company that produced films like Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, uh, Superman Returns. They also did 300, 10,000 BC, uh, Watchmen, the new Where the Wild Things Are movie is from them. And also they're doing a remake of Clash of the Titans later as well. So they've got some good stuff under the belt, which actually makes me a little hopeful. So if Legendary were indeed going to reboot Godzilla, I think I'd follow the progress with a little more enthusiasm than some other company. That being said, I'd sincerely hope that they would learn from Roland and Emmerich's mistake. That about wraps it up here. So before I go, I want to thank my friend Jim Walsh for hanging out with me at the audio console tonight. It has been a blast. Um, I also want to add that I know that last month's uh, review of Greyduck was a little weak. So just for you guys, uh, I am going to actually put a much more in-depth review on my blog so you can see some pictures from it and read a little bit more about how I felt about the artwork and the story and the the general aspects of the whole thing. So keep an eye out uh, on the blog for that. And as always, I want to add that if you found this podcast through a directory or iTunes and you want to visit the website, just point your browser to kaijucast.com. If you want to send me a message, make sure to email controller at kaijucast.com. I always love to hear from my listeners, and I do take requests, providing it's not something that I've played already. Um, And I also take show suggestions, too. I'm also open to both praise and criticism of the show, so write in and let me know what you think. Oh, and the KaijuCast is actually on, on Facebook now. So check out the fan box on kaijucast.com and become a fan if you're already on Facebook. And while you're on the site, vote in the poll too. I try to put up polls every every so often. But actually the poll that's up right now is relevant to the news story that I just uh, broke in quotation marks. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in September when my first guest, Martin Vavra, will actually be interviewing me. Not sure what he's going to ask, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm out of things to go over, but not out of music, so I'm going to leave you with a few tunes, starting with Masaru Sato's Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Matane! Matane!